At 4.30 sharp, Marge Saint eagerly switched on the radio receiver in Shelmera. This was the moment when the big news would come. Had the men been invited to follow the Alcas to their houses? What further developments would Nate be able to report? She looked at her watch again. Yes, it was at least 4.30. No sound from Palm Beach. She and Olive hunched close to the radio. In Arayuno, Mary Lou and Barbara had their radio on too. Silence. They waited a few minutes, then called Shelmera. Arayuno calling Shelmera. Arayuno standing by for Shelmera. Any word from Palm Beach, Marge? Over? Shelmera standing by. No, no word as yet. We'll be standing by. Not a crackle broke the silence. Welcome to the These Days Podcast. This is Ben and Dwayne. Hello. Uh, that little snafu you just heard <laughs> was me scaring your socks off by coming in what? hot once again. Yeah. <laughs> well, my headphones are way hotter than your headphones. Sorry, it's just, the, uh, it's just the natural resonance of my baritone voice. Over yeah, here. I think it's just why I got better headphones. You know? uh, that might be. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we are here. This is Ben and Dwayne. Coming at you from the These Days Studios in the Spare Room. And, uh, you know, I actually had somebody today, one of our Patreon supporters. I saw them in person. Yeah? Oh, really? And, yeah, I know. It was like meeting a celebrity. Wow. And, yeah. uh, and I said, oh, I'm going to go record some more episodes. And he goes, oh, in Aslan's How? Oh, And nice. I thought, oh, maybe. maybe. And he goes, no, no, I mean the Spare Room, the Spare Room. I we thought, should call it Aslan. I said maybe, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is the spare oom, but maybe your whole backyard where the spare oom sits, maybe that's Aslan's how from the Prince oh, Caspian. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, maybe that's, that's right. I mean, that's where we. Where we should, and I was thinking idea. last week we were in our bunker, but that if we need to go in there again for reasons of it being so hot in yes, the summer, that then, maybe then we should call that Tumdus's cave. Everywhere, everywhere gets oh, a Narnia yes. name, don't you think? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it's great. Your, your mom will love that. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Yeah. 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 So anyway, all of that to just sort of lighten the mood here because yes. we had kind of a heavy cold open there. Yes, we did. Um, we got a bit of a heavy podcast today. That's okay because sometimes yeah. the story of uh, Jesus, the movement of Jesus throughout the ages um, yes. goes through some really heavy and difficult things, but always seems, uh, I think, if I, know, if I know this story well enough... Yeah. Um, if if I'm not mistaken, always uh, trends towards hope in the end. So hopefully, yes. God never wastes a suffering. So hopefully we'll 
we'll get yeah. there by the end of the episode. But before you dive in and tell us what that's about, I just want to remind everyone they can find us on Instagram at we'll be going now and on patreon.com slash we'll be going now. And if you join us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you can get some free epi- extra episodes uh, that you get special access to our entire Aftercast library. And uh, you also will get some swag from us in the good old fashioned snail mail. So uh, ah. hope you can join us on patreon.com slash we'll be going now. With all of that, that said, yeah. I'm excited to hear. I remember hearing one of the people involved in this story speak at a missions conference once. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was the son of the, somebody involved in it. Yes. Right. But he was there. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was like, f- yeah. you know, three years old or something. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I'm really excited to hear about this story. Why don't you jump right in? I actually got to sit next to one of, uh, and talk to one of the players in this story. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Pretty amazing woman. But uh, th- this story really spans my life. Uh, and, you know, for many Christians of my generation, you're going to remember this story. Like, I remember my mom telling me this story when it was pretty hot news. Like, it was like if, when I was five or six, and it had been, you know, it had only been like seven years or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, so anyway, this is a story called o- Operation Alka, which is a story of a missionary effort that had a moment in it that shocked the world, but it actually uh, inspired a lot of people to uh, not only follow Jesus, but uh, get involved in ministry and mission. So uh, and I'm going to focus, there, there's five couples uh, in this story that deserve to be highlighted, and we'll call them out in a little bit later, but I'm going to focus on just one of them, the one that uh, everybody uh, tends to know, at least they did uh, in the, the beginning days, uh, partly because one of them uh, was quite prolific as a writer, a very good writer, I might add. And uh, that's uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And uh, they're the two most well-known of the uh, the five couples. Jim was born in Portland, Oregon. Ben, did you know that? I actually had no idea until I looked at your notes. Yes. Well, I thought he, maybe it was and he a went typo. to Benson High School. That's amazing. Yeah, October eighth, nineteen twenty-seven. Elizabeth, however, um, you know, uh, was born to uh, missionary parents, so they had lived in several places in the world. She was actually born in Brussels. Uh, in December of 1926, so she was a year older than he was, but uh, she was a part of the Howard family. You probably haven't heard of the Howard family. No, should I have? But, well, they were a, a, ultimately settled in New England, at least the kids did, and two pretty major Christian writers came from that, David and Thomas Howard. Okay. And uh, she was, uh, um, you know, their sister. Um, interestingly enough, my Greek professor at Wheaton College... Um, was the sister of Jim Elliot? Or oh, sorry, I'm sorry. He was married to the sister of Jim Elliot, and we went over to their house one day at night for a little Greek party. I guess nah, he's nice. <laughs> he was the happiest Greek prof I've ever seen. He used to dance in the class every morning. He goes, remember, no pain, no gain. <laughs> was oh, like, oh my word, my word. Yeah. But he was great, Jerry Hawthorne. He was amazing. But uh, she told us, she said, we are so thankful for Elizabeth. <clears throat> Because she sort of kept the legacy alive, and you'll see what what that means. But probably the most famous quote from any of these people was uh, from a journal entry by Jim Elliot in October 28, 1949. And he is the one who made the statement, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And um, that sort of displayed uh, his life. Um, 
they met at Wheaton College. The, uh, Jim and Elizabeth. Did? Jim and Elizabeth okay. met at Wheaton College. Several of these friends did. They were all part of Wheaton was the place you went when you were an evangelical back oh, in those days. Uh, oh, I know. Yes, yes. We were just there. <laughs> we had a good laugh it's, about yes, that. It's, yeah. it's still the New Jerusalem. But um, <laughs> anyway. The Mecca of evangelicals. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But um, they met at Wheaton College. In those days, everybody did. Uh, they fell in love, had an intense relationship. Uh, it kept growing more intense, and then all of a sudden, Jim broke it off. Uh-oh. And it was kind of weird. We don't have time to get into this, but it, it uh, I'll tell you where you can find the story of their courtship and everything later, but and how it led into their ministry. But uh, basically, Jim just said, thought that he was supposed to get a direct word from the Lord that he was supposed to marry somebody. Oh, so he was waiting for the go-ahead, and he didn't. Yeah, get Yeah, he so wanted he's... to marry her in the worst way, but uh, that's kind of kind of quirky there. But but Jim went to Ecuador and, um, first, and that was in February of 1952, um, and he went with one of the other uh, men. I think it was Pete Fleming, um, but they were they went to Ecuador to begin doing mission work. And uh, what's interesting about Jim, this will be relevant in the latest. Wait, when when he first went to. Ecuador in 1952 was did he had he married her at that point? I had not. Oh, so he was yeah. still single and went there just with him and that's right. Guy. Okay, yep. And so uh, what's interesting about Jimmy is a part of the uh, Plymouth Brethren Church. Oh, she, yeah. She was too, I think. Um, you know who else was? Who? Um, our buddy Jim Houston. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, uh, but he was a pacifist. Uh, he rejected the idea of using force to eliminate slavery in Africa. He was prepared to stand as a conscientious objector uh, when he, if he had been drafted in World War II, which apparently he wasn't. I think he would have been a little young for that one. Uh, but after a marriage, uh, they had one child. Uh, so, so he goes to Ecuador and then comes back yes. and marries her. Okay. Yes. I, I don't have the exact date on that one. I think it was like in 1955 or 1954. Okay. Anyway, they, they wind up having one child. Uh, they're uh, a little girl, and uh, she will show up prominently later in the story. But uh, after that, the Elliots uh, join a mission in Ecuador in the mid-1950s, and they were attempting, uh, along with five uh, other uh, Christian couples, to uh, reach a group of people called the Wahadani or the Huarani uh, in Ecuador, they kind of lumped those groups, those tribes together. These were mountain people way up in the jungles of uh, Ecuador at the time. And they lumped them together with sort of a uh, derogatory word. It's the word Alka. Okay. So that's why Operation Alka. But you know okay. what Alka means? What? It means savages. Oh, yikes. Yes. So this is, this is the Ecuadorians who say that of them? Yes. Okay. That was the name they had given them. And that's the name that these missionaries were using because that's the name that everybody was using. Okay, I see. Uh, but uh, preparations to reach the Alcas, who were unreached people, um, Elizabeth Elliot in her book called, uh, the, the title is uh, Through Gates of Splendor. I'll talk about that a little more Man, even just later. that title, title, you're like... Oh, she might be a writer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That really good. Yeah. And her, so were her brothers. I, the whole family is kind of yeah. literary. Uh, but in December 1955, they began dropping gifts to the Alcas. Uh, Nate Saint was a pilot at a yeah. plane, and they would drop these gifts, you know, buttons, uh, clothing. Uh, they even dropped machetes and stuff, which I don't know if that was a great idea. <laughs> but um, anyway. Oh, my word. Yeah. But they... they um, Here's what Elizabeth says in her book, Gates of Splendor, about the Alcas and why they might be fierce people. 
they were uh, that is the um, the men the five men who and and women and ten, and five women who were working toward this they were aware that the mis- first missionary to have entered Alca territory Pedro Suarez had been murdered by spears in an isolated station near the confluence of the Napo and the Curae River that was in 1667 uh, okay had anyone tried since then no so they, they knew that hundreds of years before, someone had been murdered trying yes. this, and now they're going to go try it. Yes. Okay. They were hoping that things had changed, and that's why they started dropping the gifts. Uh, when they would fly by, uh, as, as exchanging gifts, uh, um, they um, would lean out the airplane, and they'd been taught some... There, there was this one uh, young girl, uh, Alka girl, who had sort of escaped the group. Okay. Uh, and she was helping uh, one of the uh, women missionaries uh, teach uh, Jim Elliott and some others a few words in okay. their language. Uh, the, you know, the the, um, the language of the Indians was Quechua up there, uh, but that they had their own language. And so they were leaning out of the plane saying, hey, we like you, we like you, we're your friends, you were okay. your friends. And they're so, shouting that. And, so the Alcas didn't didn't use Quechua. They used a different dialect. Right, okay. right. So they had learned that one, and, or the, just a minimal amount of words. And um, uh, the 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 interesting thing is that they <clears throat> they uh, you know kept communicating all these things, and they saw people on the ground running around with their hands up in the air and waving, and okay. like, hey, they like this, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and communicating uh, back. Yes, communicating okay. back and giving them a response, you know, that was sort of reciprocated. Okay. Well, then in January of uh, 1956, in fact, it was January 3rd of 1956, the men, uh, uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, uh, Ed McCulley, a long-term friend, uh, Peter Fleming, Roger Yadirian, uh, they all got on, they, they all shipped off to a place that they had spied out uh, that they called Palm Beach. It was a okay. beach on uh, an open sandy space that Nate was pretty sure he could get his plane in and out. He was a pretty brave and wild missionary jungle pilot by now okay and so he um and he's the one that you saw the his son right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. so anyway nate took two of the guys in then he took two uh the other two guys in and they were on the beach uh on january 3rd and this is like pretty close to the the The, native settlement yeah they, they know that the settlement is um not too far away and so that the so the alcas can get there uh but um, they stand. They, they stand on this beach and stand on this beach, shouting into the jungle. So they don't go. We're your the friends. Jungle. We like you. They're just shouting from the beach. Yeah, okay. and I, th- I think a couple of, uh, you know, they, they saw a couple of uh, of the alcas uh, in the the woods and so forth, and tried to offer them gifts and whatever. Uh, but they 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 got no response really, right. basically, until very the, suspicious. Of yeah, these guys. Until, yeah. You know, uh, five days later, a few days later, on January seventh. Um, all of a sudden, out of the group, out of the woods, comes uh, a young girl and a little older woman and uh, a guy, <clears throat> um, a, a, a man who was sort of sweet on the younger girl. His okay. name was Nankiwi. Okay. And uh, the girl's brother was named Nampa, who was one of the big uh, warriors, one of the fighters okay. for the group. The they didn't know this, but they had a long conversation, stayed into the evening. Okay. And uh, when uh, Nampa found out that that's where his sister was, he went um, 
after them. And halfway back as, as this party of three who had had a great time with the missionaries, they'd given them gifts and they said, look, the gifts and, and, uh, uh, caught, uh, uh, well, first of all, um, Nampa's sister had gone back by herself while, while... Okay, so these three people are on the beach. Yes. And then they go back, or the, the woman, Nampa, the yes. girl, goes back by herself. No, so- Nampa's the, the brother of okay. the girl. Yeah. And, but she, the, she had gone back by herself, and he meets her in the woods? Yes. Okay. And he was not happy, because okay. she was not being escorted through the woods. I see. And uh, But he quickly shows up, the, her, her suitor, uh, a guy named uh, Kiwi. And uh, so Nampa is pretty fierce with this guy. Hey, yeah. what are you doing? My sister, you didn't take care of her. Well, he kind of bails on it because he doesn't want to get in trouble. So he says, "Well, the um, the missionaries beat us and, and 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 you know fought us, and so I was just trying to get away." So he makes that up. Yes. Okay. The girl doesn't say anything, but the older woman says, "No, that's not right." He was given; they were giving us gifts and so forth. But yeah. Nampa believes, you know, with the history of the tribe, believes that. Um, uh, yeah, the missionaries had had uh, you know hurt them. Okay, and so um, anyway, the next day on January eighth, that's when everything fell apart, and uh, th- that that's when uh, a bu- uh, several warriors, I don't know how many uh, Alka warriors, came out, but to distract the missionaries so that they could come up from behind, um, they put three women on the other side of the river. Uh, Oh, so they there there were three people on the other side of the river. So they yes. they turned their back to the woods on their yes. side. I see. Yes, and they you know the women weren't sure they didn't want this either, and so there was a very much of uh, con, conflicted you know. But the Hurani warriors uh, came up from behind and started uh, spearing with their using their spears wow. on, on the missionary Jim Elliot was the first to get hit. Wow, and there's a lot of confusion about what happened because of course, uh, well. Uh, as we'll see later, the Alcas uh, were contacted by a couple of the women later. Okay. And so this story came out as to what happened, but there was one thing that wasn't clear. Uh, so they're, they're all being speared and dying, and uh, Roger Udarian runs back to the plane to try and get on the radio, and as soon as he picks it up, he gets speared. Okay. But in the, in the midst of the chaos somewhere, uh, Jim Elliott, who was the first to get hit but still alive, pulled his – he had a gun – and apparently was trying to scare off uh, Nampa and his warriors. Okay. But he wound up uh, hitting uh, uh, Nampa, you know, uh, scoring his arm and that sort of thing. So he actually fired the gun. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And so the warriors put the bodies in the river. Uh, they apparently washed back up because when the when the um, when the scouting party comes back in, they they find them on the beach. But the, the thing is. Um, that, that's, that's what was, you know, in, in those days they didn't have cell phones or anything like that. And of course there wouldn't be cell phone towers out there anyway, but they're using this radio and that's what the cold open was about. They're waiting. It took a couple of days. They knew something was wrong. Right. Cause they hadn't made contact. Yes. But as soon as that scouting party went back, came back, it went global. It went all over the world. Yeah. It went around so, the world. So they it, wait a certain number of days and then send a scouting party out looking for them. Yeah, I it see. was only a couple of days, I think. But these scouting party had, uh, you know, automatic rifles and everything else. Sure. So uh, it wasn't actually until 1994 that they found the plane. Okay. The uh, the the Alcas, uh, I think it was um, the the leader there, uh, Nampa. I think that he was the one that 
that had them do this. They stripped all the cloth. It was a cloth piper cub or something like that. And uh, then the the plane had actually been buried in the sand. They didn't discover it until 1994. But then he went home. He burned the village to the ground because he thought there was going to be retribution. And he didn't want to be there. Okay. Wait, Nampa did? The... Yes. Oh, wow. So, so he... the whole tribe moved somewhere else. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, when all that came to fruition, it really rocked the world. I remember my mom telling me about this. It was on the cover of Life magazine. Um, it was a photo essay of what had happened. And um, the, the reality is, is that missiologists still point to this uh, and the impact of this on mission work because the mission work just exploded around sure. the globe. Well, I mean, th they weren't the only martyrs, uh, Christian martyrs no. in the 1950s, but they were probably no. the only ones from Wheaton College in Illinois. Well, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, they, it was it was suddenly like these brave missionaries had gone yeah. and done something, and they're just yeah. like us. And it's five of them. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they have young families. Yeah, which uh, is... But, yeah. but I'm, what I'm saying is, like, it's not something that's happening across the world anymore. No. Now it's, it's something we can participate in. Right at yeah. home. Yeah, you know. And uh, even the secular press still references this today. I've seen uh, comments about it, uh, you know, from time to time. But the deaths of the men uh, galvanized the effort in the United States in sparking an outpouring of funding for evangelization, evangelization around the world. And uh, their work uh, is still remembered. In fact, in 2006, I, I, this is a book by um, Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint. Mm -hmm. uh, End of the Spear. Right. Yeah. And then he, they made it into a movie, didn't they? Yeah, 2006. And it did it did pretty well, I think. Uh, but what's interesting is, is that uh, a couple of years later, two years later, 1958, Elizabeth Elliot and the sister of Nate St. Rachel go back to Ecuador to reach the Alca missionary. So they go back to try the same group of people again. Yes. Wow. I mean, two women... Going in that day yeah. was like unheard of. Sure, and, but eventually they found them, and they were actually welcomed into the in, into uh, the wow the tribe's uh, home, and uh, Elizabeth wound up staying uh, five years, I think it was, and and uh, Rachel stayed longer than that. Uh, they both had, uh, or um, Elizabeth had Valerie, who had been ten months old when Operation uh, Alka happened. And, uh, you know, there were human complications in lives, uh, just like everything else. And, uh, you, you know, uh, one of the things in reporting, particularly in academia, I think, it's very popular to sort of tear people's image down, you know. And uh, I think that's happened some in this story. Uh, that's not to say that we don't report the bad stuff or that we report everybody as perfect. That would be just as bad, and that's sort of the tendency of you're, the past. You're saying, you're saying Jim and Elizabeth weren't perfect, but no. and there were complications. And, and, and what I'm going to yeah. say is, is that yeah. you know, one of the things that didn't get reported for years is that one of the reasons Elizabeth left Ecuador was because she and Rachel just were not getting along. Sure. So, but they were both welcomed by the the crowd and, um, or, sorry, by the by the tribe, and. Um, uh, the the thing is, these were ten people who were remarkably willing for God to use them totally and completely, and uh, that's something that's even I, I. It's hard to say that it's rare today, rarer today, uh, because who knows? People that tend to do that tend not to, you know, put their name up in lights and so forth. Sure. And neither did Elizabeth, but when she came home, man, she was a riding storm. Yeah. 
she uh, wrote uh, several uh, two best-selling books on the events and on uh, Jim. Uh, the first one was through uh, Gates of Splendor, that which is where the cold open came from. In 1957, it came out, but it was this whole uh, event was you know happened in 1956. So that's a you know within yeah, one year. Pretty- Pretty quick. Yeah, and then Shadow of the Almighty. Um, it, it was another one that came out, but uh, and that was the life of Jim Elliot, her husband, right? Yes. Yeah, and uh, you know, you know, the the point is, I think, of this story is that even through horrible tragedy, God uh, sent uh, His gospel around the world, and through throughout several generations, I actually met Elizabeth. Got to sit next to her in chapel at Western Seminary. Nice. And I, I mean, met. We had a few conversations because she had to get up and speak. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of words of conversation, but seemed like a super intelligent woman and uh, amazing for what she'd been through. And that wasn't the end of her suffering. So maybe sometime we'll do another uh, podcast on her. There's a, I'll just tell you in a minute, there's a new bio out on her. But I, I just heard this week that Tim Keller was influenced by Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, he was uh, at Gordon Conwell when she was a prof there, okay. And um, he, and he said that she said said this, and this is uh, something that's um, that uh, is in another book that she wrote on suffering. It says he he, he said it was Keller reported that she said this first line in particular: "Suffering is never for nothing," and I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we can trust him for it, we can come through the unshakable assurance that he's in charge. And he, Keller, when I heard him say this on a podcast, it was a you know replay, obviously, because he just passed a couple months ago. But he said this is the that 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 statement and and her class about that uh, really helped get him through his uh, his pancreatic cancer. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I think it's cool too. Like. We uh, we don't want to gloss over the fact that these are ordinary people, and that some some folks may or may not agree with the way that they're doing uh, cross cultural mission work. Or uh, some people, you know, it's it's complicated. Jim Elliot's a pacifist and then fires a gun. Yes. So what do we do with that? Yes. You know. Uh, but the the thing is that when our when our motive is to serve God and see the kingdom come in the world then even our very complicated and messy efforts and I- imperfect efforts i guess can be used in pretty amazing yeah, ways cuz none yeah. of us do it perfectly right yeah yeah and by, by the way the the word is that uh, he was trying to scare uh, nampa with the gun with, I, yeah with the gun. no for sure for sure but either that he was a really horrible it's still, shot cuz he was still an odd it's still a strange thing to see a pacifist go for the gun yes, you know that's right and or so, even carry one yeah. and it would be so it would be so easy to to try to write people off because their their legacy is complicated but yeah. i think it's important especially when we do christian history to to resist either extreme either hero worship or uh trying to debunk something yeah. you know the pendulum kind of has swung and, the other and, way and, and just and, look know. at like god is doing god's thing right and and with whatever perfect or imperfect efforts we put forward like amazing things can happen when we're willing well, that's exactly uh, Elizabeth's uh, point of view, actually. In fact, she ends the book uh, through Gates of Splendor with it. Listen to this. It's a little bit long, but it explains the whole story and I think ties it up. 
I think back to the five men themselves, remembering Pete's agony of indecision as to whether he should join the others in the, in the venture, Ed's eagerness to go, even though Mary Lou was eight months pregnant, his strong assurance that all would be well, Raj's depression and sense, deep sense of failure as a missionary, that'd be Roger, uh, Roger uh, Yoderin, Nate, Nate's extreme caution and determination, and Jim's nearly reckless exuberance. <laughs> I believe with all my heart that God's story has a happy ending. Julian of Norwich wrote, All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. But not yet. Not necessarily yet. It takes faith to hold on to that in the face of the great burden of experience which seems to prove otherwise. What God means by happiness and goodness is far higher thing than we can conceive. A healthier faith seeks a reference point outside all human experience, the pole star which marks the course of all human events, not forgetting the impenetrable mystery of the interplay of God's will and man's. That's great. It's yeah. a great place to yeah. land the plane. Uh, with no pun intended. <laughs> yes, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess it's that time, really. That, which time is that? Books and stuff. Books and stuff. Great. Well, I see you have a bunch of books and stuff here, so I'll just let you run through them. Okay. Well, I, the bunch of them I already mentioned. Um, uh, Elizabeth Elliot. There's uh, three of them here, really. Through Gates of Splendor, 1957. Shadow of the Almighty: The Life and Testament of Jim Elliot. 1958, two books, two years in a row, wow. right after that tragedy. Wow. And um, then finally, more recently in 2019, Suffering is Never for Nothing, uh, 2019. And there's a brand new biography about Elizabeth Elliot called A Life uh, by Lucy S.R. Austin. And uh, one other thing I'll say is Jim Elliot's, uh, you can buy Jim Elliot's journal, The Journal of Jim Elliot. Um, Where he that, makes that famous statement. Yes. Yeah. What, well, he, and, and what's interesting about that is he, uh, you know, in, in ever since like George Whitfield, buying people's journals was, or putting people's journals on sale was the great thing because right. you could learn about the person. Yeah. Uh, I read somebody who, uh, this is just somebody on the internet. I don't, I, don't, I mean, it was an article that somebody put on their blog. They said that when they got hold of Jim Elliott's journal, it was, seemed so normal. Yeah, it seems so like a real person. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, I th he expected this great, you know, flowery saint, but he talked about his struggles and everything else. So yeah, it, uh, it probably is a good read. I haven't read it yet, but I would uh, bet it's pretty good. Great. So, well, with that, I think it's time. The time that to say we'll be going now. Mm -hmm.